Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been doing a series on the Ten Commandments because we've been saying, what are the blueprints of life? What is the owner manual of life? And what we're finding as we go through these one by one, there's a, there's a richness here, there's, a tr- there's truth here about how to live our lives. Uh, before you even ask, no, I did not plan to do, talk about honoring your mothers and father on Mother's Day. That was not, I didn't like start years ago to plan for that exact thing to happen. Um, but I'll start this way. There was a Barna study that was done just a couple years ago. And in that study, um, what uh, it's, it showed, per- perhaps unsurprisingly, unsur- is it asked people what was the greatest influence to uh, making up your identity. What was the greatest way to... There we go. There we go. Now you guys can see over there. It, just bo- it bugged me. I, I did it. Um, yeah, so the question was, but this Barna study was saying, what was the greatest influence in, in your life? What was the thing that really sets your identity? And maybe unsurprisingly, every generation, from the oldest generation to the youngest generation that we have, the number one influence is your family, that the way that you identify more so than your race, your religion, your ethnicity, your career, the city or town you were born or raised in or that you live in right now, more than any of those things, your family is the starting place from, to understand who you are. And therefore, is it any wonder that when you go to a psychologist or when you go to counseling, what ends up happening inevitably is you start talking about your family of origin. You start talking about the experiences that you had with your parents or lack thereof. And so the command that we find here today, honor your father and mother, I think what is happening here is it taps into the essence of how we see ourselves. It's not, not everybody will be a mother and father, but I can guarantee you that everybody in this room has had a mother or a father in some way, even if it's just, it's just in the most basic biological way. And therefore, we need to see how we relate to them as not just important to the fabric of society, not just important to the fabric of reality, but it's important to the fabric of what makes you who you are. And so let's look at this today. Very simply, what do we need to do? Why you can't actually do it? And then how you actually can. So three things. What do you need to do? 
why you can't actually do it, and then how you actually can. So first, what do we need to do? I was reading up about on this command, and um, particularly I was in, impacted by uh, two scholars, Lewis Smedes, Ed Clowney. They've written a lot, and what they point out is this command is so simple. To really get at its essence, you have to actually go into what it's not first. And what you need to do is start thinking about that. And so this was situated in the ancient Near East. It had been very easy to, to and actually some of these ancient, uh, you know, codes of conduct actually talk about you need to obey your parents. You need to follow your parents. You need to revere your parents. It would have been very easy for this command to be to do what your parents say always. And what you need to point out, what I need to point out, what you need to see is it actually doesn't say that. And this is, so what's striking is what it doesn't actually say. It doesn't say those things. Instead, it says honor. Lewis Means has this great quote. He says this, he says, why does it say honor? I'll tell you why. Because from the day a child is born to the day the parents die, and even reaching beyond the grave, everything in that relationship changes except for the moral duty of honor. And so what I think Smeads is saying is this. He's saying that the reason why the Bible doesn't say that you need to always do what your parents say is because what happens if your parents say to do something that you shouldn't do? What happens if your parents are evil? What happens if your parents have, are asking you to do terrible things? So I think the Bible is very smart. It's very wise because it says, it doesn't say follow your parents because sometimes... Your parents might tell you to do something that you shouldn't do. Further, the way that you relate to your parents when you're a child, it changes to how you relate to your parents when you're an adult. I heard it put this, this way one time. Some, everybody, in some ways, you're born in diapers, and you're going to die if you live long enough in diapers again. And it's even more stark than that. You're born, uh, you know, being taken care of in diapers, then you get old enough. If your parents are old enough, then what happens is you start taking care of them when they're in their diapers, and then you end up in, in diapers as well. And so what's happening, in, if you think of that, that arc, the relationship that you have with your parents is constantly changing, and therefore the role of child to parent is changing. And so I think you should see the, try to see the wisdom of this command and what it's not telling you on two planes. First, morally. It's not telling you to obey at all times. It's not telling you what you should or shouldn't do at all times, because your parents may or may not be using their authority in your life properly. Secondly, biologically, this command realizes that your relationship to your parents is ever-changing, and therefore your actions towards your parents should actually change as well. But there is something to do, right? That's what it's not. But let me tell you what it's, it's saying to do. First, notice it's not in the negative. We have some of these commands that say, do not do. This is saying in the positive. So notice, it's not saying do not just dishonor your parents. Don't, don't just not talk about them behind your back, sneering at them when they call, kind of rolling your eyes. It's, not, it's saying don't just not do that. It actually is saying honor them. And I had to look this up. The word honor here is one of the strongest Hebrew verbs that, they, that, that is out there. It's the word kabod, which in other parts of the Bible, is translated glory. That's really fascinating. Now, sometimes the word glory in modern ears, we don't, we don't have a one-to-one -one translation. So let me try to tell you what glory means. Glory means weightiness. 
It means substance. It means matter. When you glorify something, you're giving the substance of yourself to that thing that you're glorifying. And so what you're doing then is you're acknowledging the value of of whatever you're glorifying. And so when it says honor your parents, it's not saying worship them. It's saying in some respects their due matter, substance. In other words, it's saying do not regard them lightly. And that means no matter who you are or no matter who your parents are, no matter what they've done or what they've not done, if you are a child or even if you're an adult, to honor them means to give them what, they, what they're due. And what they're due is that they're individuals of matter. And actually, then you start seeing, well, my goodness, this is actually a radical command because there's no action or inaction on the part of your parents that will leave them not actually deserving the definition of honor. Whoa. That actually there's no, this is not a conditional statement. That, that you could have, some of you had terrible, hard mothers and fathers, and yet you're being told to honor them. Now, I think you'd be careful here because I think a lot of you when, you, when you start hearing that, you go, wait a second, I've had a terrible, I've had some really bad parental aspects in my life, and you worry if you honor them, you might be allowing them to continue to control you or hurt you or harm you. And I need, you need to know that this is not what this text is saying. This is not saying to allow people to continue to abuse you. That's not actually what it's saying at all. You don't have to do that. You don't have to like your parents. You don't have to, like I said, obey your parents, but you do need to honor them. Let me try to give you some practical ways to do that. One, you can acknowledge your parents that no matter what they've done or not done in your life, somehow you're alive because of them in some way, the most rudimentary ways. Many of you had parents that changed your diaper and fed you and took care of you. I actually remember, very, I actually remember this very starkly. When I first had my first kid, I remember calling my parents up after a bunch of really smelly, nasty, amazingly brilliant, you know what I'm referring to, um, diapers. And I, and I called them up and I was like, you did this for me? I, I, it, just, it, it didn't ever really sink in until I was doing it myself. And I go, oh my goodness, there are, some, there are times when you took care of me that if you probably took care of me when you didn't want to take care of me. And in fact, I can guarantee you, no matter what, again, what your parents have done, there's probably times the only reason why you're alive is because of what they did. And so I think there's some level of acknowledgement of that. That's one way to honor them. Two, you can forgive them. Forgiveness is granted before it's felt. And here's what's crazy about forgiveness. It's not dependent on the other person's actions. So there's a level of honoring where you, what what you're doing in forgiveness is you're, you're not asking it to be felt on their end. It's you're, you, what you're doing is, is you're, you're not asking for payment from the hurts or what they owe you or what they've done to you. You're releasing them from their error. There's a level of forgiveness that's, that could be honoring. Thirdly, you can give them space to change. When you honor your parents, I think sometimes you want to lock them into the past, into the reputation, but that's not honoring. Some of you, by the way, who have had great parents— you don't want your parents to change at all, and yet they're getting older and, and they will pass away, and you're not honoring them if you're not acknowledging that. Some of you want your parents to change, and they might not ever, but you need to leave the space for that. Because if you don't honor your parents, again, this is what we're trying to say, 
there's so many other things we could list out. If you don't honor them, you don't just break a relationship, or you don't just break the fabric of society. In some ways, you're marring your own aspect of yourself because of how you interrelate with them and therefore out into the world. Again, parents might not deserve our obedience, they might not deserve our trust, but they do deserve our honor. That's what the text is saying. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, secondly, why can't you do this on your own? Um, I first blushed when I first read this. I was like, oh yeah. In ways, I, I honor my parents. We're, we're all, you can honor your parents. But then I started asking myself more deeply, have I really respected and honored parents? Have we done that collectively, properly, all the time? That in all situations, you gave them exactly what they're due. See, I believe that everybody in this room has a range of parents from amazing parents to really, really not amazing parents. And because of that, our relationship with them, I think we've all either over-honored amazing parents or we've under-honored amazing parents. We've also over-honored probably not-so-good parents, and we've also under-honored not-so-good parents. Some of you, let's say you've had good parents because they were there for you, they provided for you, they sat with you, they spent time with you. It's possible, though, that they're actually still operating in your life as too important in your life. That they, may not, they might not have tried to set out to actively control you, but because of some system of standards that, that you think they have for you, you're trying to live up to that. And so there's a level of control. There's a level that you've given too much of, of them into your life. You're over-honoring them. Or perhaps you've not had good parents. Maybe you've been deeply wounded by them. Maybe that, you, there's, you've had parents that have been overly critical, that have really, really hurt. And I, and I know I'm t- we're moving by this. I... I have to sit with this for a while. As a minister, the, the, the wreckage bad parents have done on us is real. And some of us, it's hard not to dislike and be bitter and to be overly critical and to, and to despise what they've done and what they've taken from us. But here's what's so interesting. As controlling as a bad parent could be, when we respond in that way, ironically, we're giving them more control into our lives. And so we're actually giving them more due than they, they're due in some respects. And you can't, in other words, I've, known, I've met people that have run away to New York City to escape their parents, and ironically, the way that they're acting shows them that they're still actually controlled by them. In either case, whether you have good parents or bad parents, I believe that nobody in this room can actually say we're honoring them just the way we should. The Bible's clear that we're, in, in ways where there's supposed to be breaks from our parents but if we're still comparing ourselves to their success and we're trying to still live up to what we think that they want, if we're trying to win out over them because we're going to show them that we're different from them because of the failures that they have done, then we actually haven't left. 
Some of you, I, I, and I've talked with you, I, you, you're driven because you've had great parents. But some of you are driven because you've had not so great parents. And I think you can therefore overappreciate or underappreciate them. And either way, if you're doing that, you are, you are failing this command. That's why we can say that you can't do this on your own. That at any given moment, we're probably over-loving or under-loving them, over-honoring them or under-honoring them. And, and I think it's not easy to do this. Well, and, I, and, and just to give us a little bit of a break, you know why? They're always changing, you're always changing, and the situation that we're with our parents are always changing as well. So this is not easy, right? That, that, to give them the appropriate amount of honor that they're due. And what's hard is that, you know, in the past, we listened to them, we did what we were supposed to do, and then now, but then you changed, and they changed. Now is, that might no longer be the case. Is it any wonder, just zoom out for a little bit, generally speaking, Eastern cultures put more stress on obeying the parents, and the Western cultures tend to put less stress on obeying the parents. Eastern cultures talk a little bit more, I mean, they bore, some, there's ancestor worship, there's borderline on what the parent says has to happen. Well, modern Western cultures, the stress is on individuality. It's on my freedom. It's on my self-actualization. I'm going to be myself here. And those individuals want nothing with their parents. I think I can safely say we can look at how both those kind of cultures have handled parents, and we can see the wreckage that both cultures have caused in the fabric of reality because of the over or under emphasis there. And so you can individually do this problematically, but just zoom out and we're, we're like, oh my goodness, there's, this, there's a problem about this, culturally speaking as well, that you can't do this on your own. So last point, what do we do? How do we actually do it? Uh, and and, and for, I've used this example before, but it's too good. Uh, at the birth of, of um, actually both, birth of both my kids, but the first time it happened with my, with my the first child, that I, we were in the delivery room, and I think it was a nurse or a doctor. They're like, do you want to deliver your child? And I was like, no way. I'm going to drop that baby. I'm, I'm, it's slippery. No way. Um, and so they delivered the baby, but then they immediately gave me the baby. And the first thought that I had when I saw this baby, it was the weirdest thought. It was, I never want you to ever cry. I'm go- Why? Because I want you to uh, have everything that you deserve. Right? I never want you to ever be unhappy was the first thought that I thought. Which I think is actually, na- at first it was crazy. Then I realized, wait a second, that's actually a very natural inclination. That there is a natural intuition that this baby deserved unconditional love. Everything that she deserves is that. Love without bounds, love without restriction. And half a second after I thought it, the next thought through my head was, there is no way I'm going to be able to give this baby that. There is no way I can actually give this baby the unconditional love that she deserves. I was going to mess up, and I have. I'm not going to be able to give her that what she needs. And I'm pretty sure nobody in this room has been given what the unconditional love that they need. And that's affected us, hasn't it? How can we go around and give unconditional love if we've actually never even gotten that unconditional love from our parents? And as I was thinking about this more, I was like, well, what, you know, how is Jesus potentially different? Because if you go to Luke 2, you have one of those rare examples of Jesus as a kid. And what happens in Luke 2 is they go to the temple, the parents leave, they thought Jesus was with them, they start traveling for three days, they thought 
that he was with some of his in, the in-laws and some other uh, you know, family relatives. He wasn't. They go back to the temple, probably scolding, probably a little upset. They look at Jesus and say, where have you been? And you, you, you have to kind of read into what's happening there. But you realize, wait, Jesus as a boy, he's under flawed parents. But what happened then? Imagine all the times that his parents were wrong about something. And Jesus, knowing this command to honor your father and mother, what did he do? He perfectly knew how to handle the fact when they were, not, when they were wrong in his life. How many times do you think Jesus' parents said, here's who, what God is like. We're, we're, we're your parents. We're going to tell you what God's like. And they did it wrongly. And he didn't make them feel stupid. He didn't belittle them. He didn't. He perfectly honored them in that moment. And that's when it gets crazy, when you realize the God of the universe in the person of Jesus honored his earthly parents perfectly well. He perfectly obeyed this command. Of course, what you might say back is you say, well, that's Jesus, right? He can do things perfectly. I can't love perfectly. I can't honor perfectly. I can't care perfectly in the ways that, why can't we do that? Because they weren't perfectly there for me, right? I, they, they, weren't, they, they didn't give me what I needed. They didn't give me what I need, what I deserved. And you know what the answer is? You're right. They didn't. They weren't there. But he was. See, the same Jesus who perfectly honored his parents in Luke 2, also when he goes to the cross, he perfectly honors his heavenly father. And then by dying on the cross, he ends up becoming the true elder brother who dies for his prodigal brothers and sisters. By giving up his inheritance, he allows them to now receive that inheritance and come back in. In other words, when Jesus lives and dies for you, he ends up being that perfect son, that perfect brother, that perfect sister for you. He ends up being everything our parents should have been and everything that you should be back to our parents. Because he stayed where parents should have stayed. He loved where parents should have loved He gave where parents should really give. And so now through him, if you put your faith in Jesus, what happens is now you get to become children of God. Jesus gets to talk to God as father. And I know sometimes people have grown up in the Christian church, they talk about father all the time. They think it's not an amazing thing. That is a crazy idea that you have that kind of access to the true father. But if you understood that, if you sat in that, if you stayed in that, you know what that means? it would give you the ability to forgive your parents what they couldn't give you. It would give you the ability to distance yourself from your parents and not need them for your identity anymore. It would give you the ability to love them and honor them in just the right ways. And so I just try to let that hit you for a second. See, my worry is that in a church, when I say he died so that you can live, everybody's like, okay, that's just the way it's supposed to be. But no, you haven't actually let that hit you. All of life is screaming this to you. Hey, actually, I realized this week, did you know that everything dies so that you can live? There's nothing that you put in your mouth, except for maybe some salt and some minerals and some rocks and stuff. But generally speaking, everything you put in your mouth dies so that you can live. That means substitutionary atonement, the idea that someone else has to pay so that you live, is, it's etched in the biology of how we live. And if that's the case biologically, how is it not the truth? How is that not, not the case cosmically as well? Let that hit you. 
that Jesus took our place. And if you let that impact you, it changes. It will change all our relationships, not just the ones to our parents. Every single one of us, I promise you, you bear the wounds of our parents' limited conditional love. And yet Jesus is offering you, through his death and life, unconditional love. I can safely say to you, my parents were flawed. They overworked. They were emotionally unavailable. And now, as a parent myself, I see myself doing the same themes to my kids. And it's tough, right? That You see in the Bible, it says the sins of the father are passed down to the sons and daughters, right? And so this cycle continues. But if we knew that we had an everlasting father who was always present, who was always there, who was always going to be there for you, that now only allows us to honor our parents now in ways that we couldn't put before, but it allow us to handle anything that, life's, anything that life throws at us. I promise you, we have these, these gaps in your life because of where our parents did, didn't do or they did do something. And yet, knowing the true father, putting yourself under the true son in the ultimate family will, feel, will heal those gaps. I, I mean, just give you a couple applications to end that, 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 to show you this. If you're single, Christianity was the first religion, still is in history, that says being single is perfectly okay. Jesus and Paul were single, but why was that okay? Because you are not the sum of your physical creation. You are the sum of being his creation. And putting yourself in that ultimate family with Jesus changes you, right? You don't now need a family to have a family. You already have one. We, we just elected new deacons and deaconesses, Acts 6. And the, if, what happened in there is there was individuals in the church, it, they were widows complaining there was nobody here to take care of us. And I actually did some research on this. Back then, 2,000 years ago, you got married in your teenage years. And so widows were not old. Sometimes you think widows are old individuals. But widows often were like 22, 25, 26 years old. These were young people. And so when the church says, you know what? Yes, the economic model right now is that women have to get married so that for them to be physically taken care of. But you know what? As the church, we're not going to make you have to get into a marriage that you don't want to get into. We're going to take care of you. That was a radical idea. Back when, when women did not have charge of their lives, the church gave women the ability to get, have control over their lives because the family of the church in that moment was enough. I worry that we talk about family here a lot, but I worry that it's a thin understanding, not a thick one. That somehow it's, of course, okay to want marriage. It's okay, it's okay to want a spouse, right? It does, doesn't mean that that desire is wrong. What it means is regardless of how your family situation is or is not, being part of the ultimate family allows us not to base our lives on our production, whether it's a family production, whether our kids turn out the right way, whether we have kids, whether we even want kids, it doesn't matter ultimately. Because Christianity was the first place where you were considered whole by yourself. Do you let that impact you? Do you see how, what a practical application that is? That when Jesus brings you into the real family, into the real community, it's powerful and allows us to, to be fully human, be fully real. That's the first application. Second one, it will allow you to go into, back into your true family, sorry, into your physical uh, earthly family. If you're part of God's family, you can go back into that family. That means some of us can actually write letters today 
Some of us have letters to write. Uh, and, and there's probably a wide range of types of letters we need to write to our, to our family members. But it changes how we're going to approach that next interaction. Like some of us need to change what we're really expecting from our parents because we're expecting something from them that they can't actually give us. Some of us can now change how we're going to love and honor them. And those of you who are scared of being hurt, I heard one pastor put it this way. Guess what? Your parents can keep hurting. They can and they might will. They might keep, they can hurt you, but then they can't harm you. What I mean by that is they can hurt you, but they can't ultimately harm you anymore. Because your, your, your significance in that family is, is earthly-wise. It's not ultimate. Because you have an ultimate father and an ultimate brother and an ultimate true family. And the, tru- the truth is, I was thinking about this the other day, your family has ruled in your life probably in ultimate ways. They, growing up, they told you where you needed to go and what you needed to do. And that powerful influence in your life can overly affect you. So for you to actually get real freedom to deal with your family differently. Some sort of power has to come into your life that shows you that that's not all you have to do. That, that you are not the sum total of whatever your family has done or not done to you. And I think, on, unfortunately, here's the problem is, just telling you that is not enough. I could sit up here and scream at you and say, you have the family of God, you're a child of God, and you're going to look at me like that kind of glazed over face. Because at the end of the day, we live in a distracted age and the idea of prayer and reflection as a good in itself to get there is not, you, you guys don't see the merit of it. If you get time, go look at the Ephesians 6 passage in your, that's in your text. Go look at Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit are now children of God. That's an, okay, thanks for the content, Michael. But no, it goes on. Paul says, it's the Spirit that brought about your adoption. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are children of God. You say, what's all that about? Why do you need the spirit of God to testify to your spirit? I'll tell you why. Because you at some level don't ultimately believe this. You need the spirit of God to testify to your spirit. That happens how? Through prayer, through meditation. Spend the time to get an experience of this. You're so distracted by everything else that you don't actually just sit and say, I have the love of the Father. I have the paternal love of the ultimate Father in my life right now. And that allows me now to deal with whatever kind of love my family has. You can have a good father earthly, and he's, he or, is dying. You can have a good mother earthly, and she's dying. You can have terrible fathers and mothers earthly. Regardless, this family love allows you then to enter the true family. Last point. Very quickly, as a newly uh, uh, redefined family that is now living together, we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be redefined as the family of God? We don't have time to pull all this out, but if right now you could turn and say, oh my goodness, those are my brothers and sisters now. But not just inside the church, you can look outside at the images of God in our city and say, those are brothers and sisters too. The ramifications are, are huge. Families are messy, but if the end goal of this family now is the redemption and restoration of all of creation, that now, now why you live in this city changes. Please don't just be here to climb the corporate ladder, to get out, to get a better job, and then move to a place where now you'll be finally fully comfortable. That's not the point of being a Christian. At the end of the day, we have to know you're actually heading to a Christmas dinner 
that's actually not going to be full of dysfunction anymore. You're not heading to an Easter meal where, where it's awkward because you're with these in-laws, these individuals, these, these family members you're not quite sure about. Yes, our family is broken, but relationship to our Father means that we have new family values. And to honor then our true Father means to love what He loves, means to care about what He cares about. It means to go out and try to fix what He wants fixed. And you can only do that as members of this new family and the redemptive work that is given to us. That's our inheritance. That's what's before us. So let's do that together as a family living in light of his love for us out in the world, now and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, in some ways it's such a simple statement. Honor your father and mother. It's about ordered relationships and Father, we, we, we do it disorderly. We overdo it. We underdo it. We know the call is there. We should do it. It's how we've already self-reported. This is how we see our identity. We know the gaps in our life because of what we haven't gotten or got too much of. I, I confess as a father myself, you can, you can overlove your kids and mess them up. You can underlove your kids. There's no way not to. And that means all of us have had that influence in our life, and yet you're the true Father. I pray that we would really put ourselves under that, not just as a, as a concept, not just as a, as a cognitive thought, but an experience of knowing. If you've had bad, bad fathers and mothers in this room, that we sometimes it's hard to connect to the true Father, but Father, I pray that we look in Scripture and see your actions and see your unconditional love, and we go, yes. That is who you are. That is what I need. And I pray, pray, I pray that, that we place ourselves under that, and it, can, it will heal the wounds. It would give us the ability supernaturally to interact with our parents differently, but even each other. We won't go looking for what we didn't get in, from our parents in someone else. We won't go looking for to be full in our jobs or in, our, in, in society because we didn't get it earlier. Ultimately, Father, we pray that we will see that what you've done for us on the cross is the true brother, is the true friend, is the true parent. As we place ourselves under that, it lets us move out into the lives of others in different ways. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.